You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 47 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as regular listeners will know, I'd like to begin with a shout out to our new listeners. And this week, I'm pleased to welcome new listeners from London, Guildford, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Birmingham, Northampton, Manchester, Rochester, Derby, Portsmouth, Cardiff, Swansea, Southampton and Ipswich, Dublin in Ireland, Paris in France, Barcelona and La Coruña in Spain, Porto and Lisbon in Portugal, Brussels in Belgium, Amsterdam and Rotterdam in the Netherlands, Berlin in Germany, Sedenmark and Copenhagen in Denmark, Stockholm in Sweden, Oslo in Norway, Valais in Switzerland, Turin in Italy, Zagreb in Croatia, Budapest in Hungary, Serbia and Greece, Izmir and Istanbul in Turkey, Kampala in Uganda, Tokyo and Saitama in Japan, Chongdu and Ichonjitazi, I apologize if I not pronounced that correctly, Ichonjitazi in South Korea, Manila in the Philippines, Perth and Sydney in Australia, Brasilia and Sao Paulo in Brazil, Alberta and Ontario in Canada, and then finally in the USA this week, we have new listeners from San Francisco, from New York, Washington DC, Austin, Birmingham, Bloomington, Dallas, Indianapolis, Boston, Pittsburgh, Grand Rapids, Cleveland, St. Louis, San Diego, Baltimore, Minneapolis, Rochester, Chicago, Pasco, Greensboro, and Atlanta. So, a big shout-out welcome to all of you right around the globe. It's great to have new listeners to the show. Big welcome to you, and of course a big welcome back to all my regular listeners. I do really appreciate you all taking half an hour or so out of your week to listen to my show and catch up with the latest news in the world of GDPR. As always, I always welcome feedback on the show. If you have any feedback, please send it by email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot Or you can also find all the details at our website, www.insurety.co.uk. www.ensurety.co.uk. I really like receiving all your feedback or your suggestions for future articles or indeed people you'd like me to interview. And indeed, we carry on an interview in this episode from last week. And uh, I do read all of your comments and suggestions. Unfortunately, I don't have time to reply to all of them, but I do get back to you where I can. And please be sure that even if I don't get back to you, I have read your comments and they are very welcome. So in a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have some investigation into whether Boris Johnson and his Bat Boris campaign have breached GDPR. We have a look at schools reporting GDPR incidents to the ICO and what the ICO's feedback on those incidents has been. We have an article on a data breach at the Irish Football Association. And we also have details of a data breach at King's College London. 
We then look at some legal action which is being brought against the UK government by a number of civil liberties groups relating to the handling of personal data under the Data Protection Act 2018, which will, in all intensive purposes, replace GDPR after Brexit, as they claim that the handling of immigration data under the Data Protection Act 2018 is not compliant with the principles behind the General Data Protection Regulations. So we have a look at that. And then we finish this week with the next part of the interview which I began last week with Mark Wellens from OneTouch.io about GDPR in general and about what their solution can bring to organisations. So I hope you find the second part of the interview as useful as I know many of you found the first part. So I'll let you get on and listen to this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us this week and I hope every week into the future. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're in the UK, or even probably if you're in Europe or in the US, you won't have missed that due to Brexit, Prime Minister Theresa May felt it necessary to resign, and as a result, the Conservative Party are currently in the midst of an election campaign amongst their own members to select their new party leader. But as they are the largest party in Parliament, then by definition, whoever they choose their party leader will become the Prime Minister of the country. And through earlier stages of the election, the choice has been whittled down to be either Jeremy Hunt, who is currently the Foreign and Commonwealth Secretary, and for many years was the House Secretary, and Boris Johnson, who was Lord Mayor of London for a number of years. Indeed, he claims to have been instrumental in bringing the uh, London Olympics to being in 2012 and he did achieve a number of things as London Mayor and he subsequently went on to himself be Foreign and Commonwealth Secretary before ironically resigning over the matter of Brexit um, some months ago. However, more importantly to our listeners is that um, a minister and a former Conservative MP have asked the ICO to investigate whether Boris Johnson's election campaign to become party leader has breached data protection laws, specifically whether it's breached GDPR. Harriet Baldwin, a Foreign Office Minister, and Ben Howler, a former MP for Bath, have asked the party's chair, Brandon Lewis, MP, to launch an inquiry after receiving allegedly unsolicited requests for support from the Boris Johnson campaign at backboris.com. Both Harriet Baldwin and Ben Howlett suspect that Johnson's campaign has relied upon old email lists or phone numbers from previous campaigns to ask for support. Now, of course, it's likely that these data precedes GDPR. But, however, um, both of the people involved, Harriet Baldwin and Ben Howlett, are asking the ICO to investigate whether there has been a breach of GDPR. Speaking to the Guardian newspaper... Ben Howlett said no politician is above the law when it comes to the usage of private personal data. Brandon Lewis should conduct an urgent investigation into Team Boris's data compliance prior to ballot papers being sent out. 
I fear there is a clear breach of GDPR law and it is for the official information commissioner's office to determine. Baldwin, a supporter of Jeremy Hunt, tweeted that she found it weird to be spammed by the Bat Boris campaign team using an email address given to a previous Boris Johnson campaign. The email from the Bat Boris campaign read, Harriet, I'm writing today because you have supported my campaigns in the past by signing up to receive campaign updates or by volunteering to help. I'm now asking for your help again. If you'd like to join my campaign to be the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party, please click here. Howlett also said that he had received a random phone call from Boris Johnson's team and he said, when asked where did they get my data from, given GDPR and I've never opted in or consented to my data being used, they said it was from a previous correspondence. Now, I think this needs to be taken a little bit with care in the current environment. Has there been a breach of GDPR and the Data Protection Act 2018 by the Bat Boris campaign? I think both of the people involved, and as I understand it, subsequent to this article being put together, we've now learned also that, ironically, Jeremy Hunt himself has received a promotional email from the Bat Boris campaign. So it's just they're not really carrying out much filtering of who they're sending it to. But nonetheless, the people being sent to are public figures by definition. And their website and indeed their telephone numbers are relatively freely available, either via the House of Commons website or via their own websites in their own constituencies. And I think you can look at this two ways. On the one hand, you can say, did they have specific consent? Probably not. However, look at it the other way and say, in their position, would they reasonably expect to receive a communication from the Bat Boris campaign? And I think the issue becomes slightly different because I would suspect that any member of the Conservative Party in reality, whether they be an MP, an MEP, a councillor, or indeed just a member of the public, would probably be expecting to receive communication from the two candidates who are hoping to be the leader of the party and by definition then the Prime Minister of the UK. And so I personally, with my GDPR practitioner hat on, I can't actually see that there is a breach of GDPR here. So it will be interesting to see what the ICO's judgment is. Now, of course, we're also in the situation where the voting in this election ends in 15 days' time, on the 22nd of July, with whoever the victor is likely to be announced on the 23rd of July. And I would consider it unlikely that the ICO will issue a judgment before that date. Uh, but if they do, or indeed when they do, we will, of course, keep you updated with that in a future edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, has released some details about uh, GDPR data breach reports that it has received from schools. And it perhaps indicates that schools in particular, but in my experience, industry too, is being a little overzealous in data breaches that they're reporting to the ICO. And if we just take these stool cases as an example, then the ICO is saying that in the first year of General Data Protection Regulations, GDPR, they've had 1,385 
referrals from stalls. But of those, 1,385, only 208, or to put that another way, only 15% of those have resulted in any action needing to be taken. So the other way, 85% didn't need to be reported at all. And it follows reports that last year there was a surge in the number of data security incidents reported by the education sector in the wage of GDPR. The GDPR rules require stores to be clear about the data they hold and to respond quickly to requests for copies of personal data. I they have 30 days, like everyone else under GDPR. They must also appoint a data protection officer to supervise the way data is handled. And obviously for small stores, that can be quite a um, overhead. The introduction of GDPR was marred by accusations that the Department of Education had failed to prepare stalls for the change. And I think it's fair to say that in our experience, there are still a number of stalls that are struggling to quite understand how GDPR refers to them and what they do on a day-to-day basis. It's interesting to note as well that of the referrals made to the ICO about stalls, of the 1,385 cases, just under half of them, 665 cases, were self-referrals by the store itself. And of those self-referrals, about 80% required no action at all. And so there does seem to be a misunderstanding of what GDPR actually means for stores, and it's something that we're looking at internally at the moment to see how we can come up with some training material for stores um, to perhaps more carefully reflect the way that they work, the way that stalls work, the issues they have, and where and how GDPR applies to them, and where or how data breaches may have occurred. Because what can happen, of course, is that if you're not sure whether you've had a data breach, and you contact the ICO and speak to their helpline and say, I'm not sure if I've had a data breach, the ICO will automatically record that as a data breach. And so that can make the figures look artificially high. But it's quite interesting to look at what the stalls that were investigated were investigated for. Uh, the top reason, not surprisingly, was disclosure of data. So in other words, a data breach, where stalls themselves referred themselves on 370 occasions, 152 complaints were from third parties. But the next item down after disclosure of data was subject access where someone had asked for details held by them, held by the store about them, and the store had failed to provide the information. Uh, there were no self-referrals from stores on this, but there were 397 reports from outside bodies. Then we came down to breaches of data security, but not necessarily a data breach, so i.e. perhaps a virus or something like that. Um, store self-referrals were 289, and external referral was at 49, and then there were various other uh, requests or problems which came in total from 128 different sources. So that's what was coming in. If those were reports coming in, what, what did the ICO do about them? Well, in 741 of the cases, they said no action was required. In 208 of the cases, they said action was required. In 228 of the cases, they said there wasn't a breach under GDPR and the third party was just referred back to the store. And there were 184 where advice was given back to the person making the complaint, the third party making the complaint, that in fact there hadn't been a data breach. And 24 were ruled not relevant, i.e. they didn't apply to GDPR or to the store. 
And so it's quite interesting the high number of cases that weren't actually necessarily needed to be reported. And I think that's something that we've seen ourselves reflected across industry as a whole, although perhaps not to the extent shown by schools. But there can be a knee-jerk reaction, which is, oh, I've had a data breach, or I've had a security issue, I must report it to the ICO. And in fact, if you've already solved the issue and you've made the entry in your data breach register, then unless there's a substantial volume of data or the data is about children or other sensitive data, then really there is no need to report it to the ICO. Just make sure that you've recorded it in your own data breach register, you've followed your own procedures, and you can prove if someone does come to ask that you took all the action that was required. Elizabeth Denham, the information commissioner, said that she felt that schools were taking the requirements of GDPR seriously but she accepted that it remains a challenge for organisations and their data protection officers to assess and report breaches within the statutory timescales. So I think what this says to me, and, and this isn't just me trying to sound more training, although of course if you want to buy some GDPR training from us, we'd be delighted to speak to you, and please do contact us at podcasts.insurity.co.uk. But I think what it does do, it highlights the need for more training, it highlights the need for saying to people, these are the situations where you have a data breach and you must report it to the ICO. These are the cases where you have a data breach and you must record it in your data breach register, but in fact you don't need to report it to the ICO. And these are the cases where in fact as far as GDPR is concerned you don't need to do anything. And so I will do some thought over the next few weeks to how I can put some training together to satisfy that need. And once I have it, I will um, let you know and uh, you can access it by future editions of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We are getting an increasing number of our customers now already contacting us to arrange an audit as now it's coming up to towards a year from when GDPR came in and they want to make sure that they're operating as they should be, and we'd like to offer this service out to all of you, all of our listeners. Uh, So if you'd like us to perform an audit on your GDPR uh, operations and make sure that you are recording everything you need to be, that you have all the necessary procedures in place, and that you know how to action those procedures, please do get in touch with us via podcasts at insurity.co.uk. That's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at insurety, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. Please make the subject of your email GDPR audit, and we'll get the relevant person to contact you. Um, We're able to carry out audits either on-site or remotely, and for a pleasantly low cost. I'm sure you'll be pleasantly surprised with the figure we're able to provide you with for providing the audit. I can't give a global figure here because it does affect, it does depend on how many employees, how many customers, how many records, etc. you have. Um, But please do get in contact with us. It's totally without obligation, but do get in contact with us to arrange an audit because uh, if you do want the audit done around may or june of this year to be annual from when gdpr came in we are rapidly filling our diaries for that period so uh, don't delay do get in touch 
do it this week and we'll be pleased to provide you with a quote and for the first five of you to contact us to request a, a data audit a data breach audit i'm pleased to be able to say that we will provide that to you for 50 percent of our normal fee but that's only for the first five of you to contact us as a result of this podcast check us out on facebook the football association of ireland the fai has confirmed that it suffered a data breach of its payroll systems which it discovered last month but it said that having carried out investigations it was satisfied that no staff data had been compromised it was previously feared that the hackers could have stolen the bank details for leading FAI employees and officials like Ireland manager Mick McCarthy and staff were told to monitor their bank accounts for unusual activity but it looks like in this case that the cyber criminals weren't able to access the data that they wanted to find the FAI confirmed that the source of the recent hacking attempt was a malware infection that had been targeting payroll systems at the FAI's Abbottstown headquarters and had been discovered over the June bank holiday. The FAI had previously said that the system stored names, salaries, contact details, bank account details and personal public service numbers, national insurance numbers for those of you listening in the UK, of staff. Uh, however, whilst that was true, it now appears that none of that data was actually accessed. A spokesman said that upon becoming aware of the incident, the FAI immediately engaged external computer forensic experts to assist with investigating the incident. These investigations found malware on a payroll server, but the FAI have assured staff and former staff today that there is no evidence that any of this data has actually been extracted from the server. In a latest statement, the football body noted that all payment data was actually stored off-site and details relating to ticket sales were handled by a third party and thus these weren't affected at all. Nor was the FAI Net system that handles player registration details which had been introduced back in 2016. The spokesman continued that the FAI have treated this matter very seriously and was focused on closing out of the incident and preventing any further security incidents. It's fair to say that this episode really serves as a really good example of how to comply with GDPR. The FAI got investigators in. They immediately notified the Irish ICO, the Irish Office of the Data Protection Commission, that the breach had been discovered. They notified their staff as to what to do. And really, it's, I think, an exemplar of how good data breach control should be handled. So well done to the FAI and uh, where we come across other good examples we will just bring them to you in future editions of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden. Another data breach in the UK which uh, was actually self-referred but which has raised issues that have been mentioned in a number of of the mainstream newspapers here in the UK this week has been the admission by King's College London that it may have breached GDPR by sharing a list of activist students with the police and the university has apologised 
to the students involved for the action that it took whilst a royal visit was taking place to King's College. King's College reported itself to the ICO that it believed it had had a breach of the GDPR regulations when it shared a list of student activists with police and barred those activists from one of its campuses during a visit by the Queen, an independent report has found. Some 13 students and one member of staff found themselves unable to access any of the campus sites of the university as their access cards had been deactivated to prevent access, in particular to the Bush House site, while it was being opened by the Queen on March the 19th this year. In a forward to the report, Professor Evelyn Welsh, acting principal at King's College London, said the university accepts the findings and recommendations in full and is putting in place a plan to address all the issues raised. He said that one of the findings of the report is that we have breached our own policies regarding protection of personal information and the GDPR regulations. Following the event, we informed the ICO that we were undertaking this review. We have now shared a report with them and await their response. The report also contains recommendations about security arrangements at Teens Toys London, which we will follow as we bring our operations in-house and a new head of security joins us. Professor Welsh went on to say that while some may have interpreted the actions taken on the day as racial profiling, this was not the case and he wanted to reiterate that discrimination on any grounds is unacceptable and damaging to the university community. The author of the report, Laura Gibbs concluded that the security team at the university had overstepped the boundaries when it compiled a list of activists and shared it with the Metropolitan Police. Laura said that the barring of individuals against whom there was neither evidence of criminal activity nor any internal disciplinary findings from the students' own campus was disproportionate and against King's stated values. One student was blocked from entering a King's College London building for an exam in South London and was only able to enter when the on-site security staff reinstated his card. Under the Gallagher system, it was not technically possible to block access solely for Bush House, so all the particular students' cards were simply locked entirely, hence blocking them out of all King's campus buildings. King's College London's security team disclosed the information without without police having made a formal written request. It's understood that those students who were reported to the police by KCL were involved in a number of action groups, including Action Palestine, Cut the Rent, Justice for Cleaners, Intersectional Feminists and Climate Strike. In response to a request for the dates of birth of the protesters from the Metropolitan Police, an email from King's College London read, we have taken their details from our card security, which does not have date of birth. I would have to go to student services, which would raise flags and cause chatter, so I would rather not, as this is sensitive around student freedoms. So in itself, it implies that the security department at King's College London recognised that what they were doing was probably not quite within the bounds of GDPR, and nonetheless, they still carried on to do it. So the re- Matters now in the hands of the ICO and we would expect them to investigate and we will bring you the results of those investigations as soon as we have them in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. 
A formal complaint has been filed with the European Commission against the UK government for allegedly flouting the EU's GDPR regulations by including a broad immigration control exemption in the Data Protection Act 2018. The Platform for International Cooperation on Undocumented Migrants, PICUM, complaint has been joined by several other migrant and digital rights organisations. Now, the 2008 UK Data Protection Act in many ways mirrors what's in GDPR, but with an eye to Brexit, it does have a few paragraphs which are slightly different. And one of these is the subject of this complaint. The 2018 UK Data Protection Act includes a section that allows the government and others to ignore the EU's data protection rules, i.e. to ignore GDPR, when those rules get in the way of, quotes, the maintenance of effective immigration control, close quotes, or, open quotes, the investigation or detection of activities that would undermine the maintenance of immigration control, close quotes. Alina Smith, the advocate for PICUM, said, the UK Data Protection Act's immigration control exemption runs exactly counter to the EU's efforts to reinforce individuals' rights to the protection of their personal data. It carves out a space where public and private actors have wide discretion to access, use, share and indeed gather personal data without the knowledge of affected individuals and with virtually no accountability. All this for immigrant enforcement goals which are worryingly vague and broad. Now it needs to make clear that the exemption does not include safeguards for sensitive data or for vulnerable groups like children. Alina Smith went on to say that the exemption risks worsening existing violations of fundamental rights and freedoms under the UK's, and in her words, hostile environment policy. The UK, even as a non-EU country post-Brexit, cannot trade with the EU if its data protection laws fail to meet EU standards. This is something we spoke about a few weeks ago on the GDPR which is showing one of the possible consequences should, on the 31st of October, whoever is our new Prime Minister by then, opt to take us out of the EU with no deal. Some other groups that have got involved include Liberty and Gracie Bradley, Policy and Campaigns Manager at Liberty, said the immigration exemption will make it even easier for the Home Office to hoover up people's data from schools, hospitals and other vital services without their knowledge, further entrenching the hostile environment. It's oppressive, unnecessary and strips people the rights the government said the Data Protection Act would uphold. The UK cannot call itself a world leader on human rights while its data laws fall short, far short of the European standard. And Nazak Ramadan, the director of Migrant Voice, which is in itself a UK-based migrant-led charity advocating for the rights of migrants, said, This exemption disproportionately interferes with fundamental rights of privacy, data protection, equality and non-discrimination of millions of UK foreign residents. Now, this case has wide implications, not just in terms of the Data Protection Act 2018 and indeed immigration law into the UK. But of course, as we mentioned previously on the GDPR Weekly Show, if we leave the EU without a deal, we become a third country. And I just think that examples like this are going to make the 
European Commission, European Parliament, less likely to want to speed up accepting that our rules are the equivalent of GDPR, even though in 99% of the cases they are. But I think it's a shame that there are items like this which potentially stand to be a real hurdle in the way. So we don't yet have a date when this is going to court, but once we do, we will of course let you know and we'll bring you updates on the court case in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. And now is the interview spot on the GDPR Weekly Show. If you were listening to last week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, you will have heard the first part of my interview with Mark Wellins from OneTouch.io. And I'm very pleased now to be able to present you part two of our interview. And I hope you find it interesting, as I know many of you did for the first part last week. And in fact, I realised that Mark and I spent so long in conversation that actually I'm only able to bring you part two this week. And the final part of the interview, part three, will be in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. But please do have a listen to this part of the interview. I'm sure you'll find it interesting and entertaining. And I think it is about, you know, I, I, I can fully sympathise with the ICO's view that, you know, we don't want to be about punishment, we want to be about encouragement. But I think as well that without that, I don't, I don't know how best to put it, I suppose it turns back to the old thing of the carrot and the stick. But if all you've got is carrot and you haven't actually got any stick, then there's no, imp- there's no incentive to go for the carrot. And... I, I do think that maybe they just need to be a little bit tougher. I'm hoping that might come in the fullness of time. I mean, I, I think any punishment, any any fine has to be realistic and it has to be within what a company can afford. But taking your example, the fine on Google, and you're quite right. I mean, I read somewhere that the total fines so far on Google are something like 45 minutes of their earnings. <laughs> and, <laughs> Yeah, and so you know, is that actually making them go out? It, it might be a little bit where, like, when a gnat bites you on the knee and you just give it a slap, but it, you know, it's it's not actually punishing them at all. Yeah, yeah. It, the uh, I don't know if you're aware of the LGDP in in Brazil, their version of GDPR. Um, I, I know Brazil have something similar, but I'm not that I'm not that familiar with it. I must admit. So the, the main difference is that uh, the body that, that enforces LGDP is self-funded. So basically it's incentivized to um, find people, let's say. So right. they're, actually, they're actually almost as scared there as they are in California of what that could be. Um, because, it, you know, at the end of the day, if, if the, call it the equivalent of the ICO over there, wants to make a case against you, they're going to try really hard. Because if sure. they can't find people, they're not going to be around next year. No. <laughs> so, no. so they take it seriously. Mm, mm. So um, what, what, do you, what do you see as the main challenges in the next 12 months, um, Mark? Um, so so while, I, while I composed thoughts on that, I thought I'd, I'd share something which I found quite amusing. Um, we, we got a call from, from, <laughs> from a Nigerian uh, partner who actually wanted a solution to address the Nigerian version of GDPR. And I, I don't know what your first thoughts were, but mine, mine were, why would, why would the country that invented all these, all these problems with the internet have, have such a thing there? But uh, apparently it's real, and I read through it, and it's, 
it's pretty much GDPR for for Nigeria, which right, is right. Right. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I must admit, I'd, I'd heard very faint rambles on the on the grapevine that something was happening in Nigeria, but that, but I must admit, I sort of dismissed it as being, you know, um, how can I put it, um, you know, just uh, wrong. <laughs> it is interesting to hear that there actually is something. I mean, in a way, that's encouraging. Yeah, it's hugely encouraging from uh, you know from consumers' perspective who yeah. you know, people who've who've had problems in the past. Let's say, so it was. Uh, I mean, it was a surprise and it was funny at the time, and uh, it's something to be taken seriously after all. So um, yeah, the, the challenges are are there, there's just it, it's a it's a big playing field. But I think that um, you know it. I, I, I'm going to go back to uh, many years ago when uh, I went to this this sort of cloud conference in in Australia which was uh, exceedingly dull, let me say, because it was basically um, you, can't, uh, you can't negotiate a better deal with your cloud provider because they're huge and you're tiny. And that, that was kind of the bottom line. It was like, oh, okay. Um, and we were discussing a little bit about security on the panel. And I think that the challenges of, of GDPR are the same challenges that we had then and we've pretty much had throughout, throughout history. And it, it's um, education of the relevant people. Right, getting the awareness to the right level. Uh, and we can go back to this. There are, what, 75% roughly of Europeans are aware of GDPR, which is, which is great. Do they care, though, is the next phase? Mm. Yes, I know GDPR exists. Yes, I know that companies have to be uh, compliant. And yes, I know they'll be fined. I've seen Google fined. Yeah, that's great fun. Do I care that much? Hmm, not, not really. So we have a couple of evangelists out there. And, and let's be fair, they are evangelists because they're really picked up the baton and said, hey, this is really important to me. I am going to try and use the, the law as it is today and force um, awareness around, but not just awareness, to, to show people why it's important that I care. Because I, right now I'm in the minor, minority. I yeah. do care that GDPR will be a successful. Why? Because my personal data is important to me. Mm. Why? Well, one thing, I don't want identity theft, right? I don't want that to happen, mm. which is, it's possible if you, if you aren't looking after the data carefully. So like one of the, one of the, things, that, that, um, one of the things that we will do when, when we you know, plug in our solution, we'll say, did you know you've got 4,500 copies of your customer database around your network? You know, you know this kind of exaggerated example, but, sure, but if you have, yeah. right, if you have that, there's a huge risk there, a huge risk factor, because first of all, you probably didn't know there were that many copies, and second of all, you can be damn sure that some of them are relatively insecure. Yeah. Um, so, so there are things like that. And that, that I think, is, is the, I'm going to use the, a great word, the crux of, of what we're looking at, mm. making people understand why they should care. Yes, you know it exists, you're aware of it, but why is it really important? Because yeah. it, it is important. People are, oh, it's just another regulation. Oh, it's so difficult to enforce. Oh, it's so difficult to get ready. It's important, guys. It's like PCI at the beginning. Yeah. It was difficult, but we understood it was important. We understood it had to be continuous, and it's the same with GDPR. You have to yeah. continuously apply your policies and, and your security enforcement to make sure you're there because you, me, Tom, Matt, everyone else on this call, all the consumers, we want to be safe, even yeah. if we don't know it yet, and that's the challenge for the next 12 months to have the consumers understand it's not a fight. We're not, you know, going against the big guys. Mm. We just want it to be a fair place uh, for everyone where we're not worried to do, let's say, business with, with whomever, Amazon or eBay or whomever it might be, because we're quite happy that they look after our data. That's yeah. really what we have to get to. 
very very good thinking how, how do you see um obviously particularly here in europe how, how do you see the e-privacy directive having an impact on a gdpr but b what what your what you do hmm. that's it it's it's another another good question i do have to think about i'm thinking about where gdpr came from and um, when i think about where it came from it was from what I understand in a way, and of course, you know, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, right? Um, it was primarily built from, uh, from uh, I think it was the, 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 sort of the Germans, if I'm not mistaken, putting together sort of their, uh, their wants, as it were, from, from such a, a directive. And so it, it, from what I see there, it's, it's, it's very well thought out. You know, there's a lot in there. But again, it, it kind of... Um, lacks the emotional part i say yeah. you know the the, yeah. the kind of why so thinking about the 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 eu privacy directive right this is kind of it's kind of more on web uh, consumer behavior on the web let's say yeah. if, if i'm yeah. not mistaken would that be yeah that, that, that's our, i mean it's, it's, much our, more, it's much more about cookies and programmatic advertising and and all, all that sort of stuff Which, yeah um, it's it, so it, it you know it is definitely related to, you know, to personal privacy data, personal data, that definitely in that realm. Um, from me, from our particular um, viewpoint of the whole, of the whole marketplace, it's kind of peripheral to yeah. what we do. Yeah. It's obviously part of the whole picture. And, mm. and that's one of the things I always tell um, certain clients and, and customers that the GDPR compliance efforts you're doing, they're just part of the overall yeah. program that you have in place. Again, much like uh, PCI, it's part of the overall security program. Yeah. You have a healthy one. It has to be hygienic, and, and it has to really be well thought out. Yeah. Uh, there's no one single product that's going to solve all your problems. Mm -hmm. So you have to be <laughs> you have to be aware of that when you start. Yeah, sure. There's no no silver bullet, no holy grail. No. Although if you do find one, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, my dear, because I was all out of a job. Um, but yeah, I, th I think you're right, and, and I, I mean, I, I, I've, I've said to a number of my clients that you know, my my belief is if is that to be honest, I think in five years, whilst GDPR over the last twelve months, over the last eighteen months, I guess in the time that it was coming in, has been quite a major upheaval, and I think some of that has met resistance solely because as businesses and indeed as human beings, we're all have some inbuilt resistance to change. Um, but I think that actually once it's all settled, and I think it's still probably got another couple of years until it is all settled, but in two or three years' time, four years' time, we'll actually look back and wonder why we ever did it any differently. Um, you know, because I think GDPR generally is a well-thought-out set of rules, and I think if we're looking for the evidence of how well thought out was that set of rules, well, if you take from CCPA right across to what's happening in Brazil to what's happening in India, South Africa, Japan even now, all of these rule sets have been 99% based on what we've already got into GDPR. Absolutely, yeah. And, and so, you know, I think, I think really those people involved in drawing it up across Europe and, the, you know, over the last four or five years actually have a lot to be proud of in what they've 
what they've achieved. So once again, many thanks to Mark Wellin from OneTouch.io for taking part in the series of interviews. And if you're involved in the world of GDPR, whether as a supplier, a consultant, or indeed an end user trying to implement GDPR, and you'd like to be interviewed on the GDPR Weekly Show, then please do just drop me an email at podcast.insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, and uh, I'd be delighted to set up an interview with you. If you missed last week's part of this interview, please remember you can always check back at any time to the previous editions of the GDPR Weekly Show, and you can find, obviously, the past part of this interview in episode 46 of the GDPR Weekly Show, and we'll be bringing you the conclusion of this interview in next week's episode, episode 48 of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.